This is going to be a one-take day, Finn. It's not going to be a 20-take day. We're not punching any lyrics here, dude. We're doing these verses straight up. Welcome to Galaxy Brains. The weekly podcast from Galaxy Research. Yo, holler to my homies making moves to rebirth. And I'm pedaling groove so hard it's like my knees hurt. Mind your beeswax, cheap packs, and eat your peas first. I've been double dipping, ripping, rolling hazy And never being lazy with the words that I'm arranging When my team rolls up, I'm yelling, hell, we here Bim, Net, T, Will, and the killer Kelly Greer You can't top us, stop us, we're kings of the corn Riding through the storm with the cyber hornet swarm And we buzzing since we born And we're never gonna let up And we're building for the future And I really love the setup I've been feeling vibes since the song started. See my haters going down like the long bond market. And Tinder's in the fire pit, something's gonna spark it. Keep your eye on the prize and your focus on the target. As always, I'm your host, Alex Thorne, head of firmwide research at Galaxy Digital. Thank you for listening to Galaxy Brains. We have a great show for you today. As I said, we've got a little bit of a medley here. We've got Kelly Greer from Galaxy Trading to talk about options, market positioning, and other interesting stuff in the near-term outlook. We've got Tyler Williams, our head of policy at Galaxy, to give us an update on the dysfunction in the U.S. House of Representatives. And, of course, we'll check in with our good friend Bimnet Abibi from Galaxy Trading to talk macro. Before we get to that, I need to remind you to please refer to the link to the disclaimer in the podcast notes. And note that none of the information in this podcast constitutes investment advice or an offer recommendation or solicitation by Galaxy Digital or any of its affiliates to buy or sell any securities. Yo, what up, Phineas? We got two major trials happening a couple blocks from here in New York. Uh, did you see any of that when you came over? Big news. Big news in our world. And uh, I think we're following one much closer than the other. <laughs> yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Well, one of them is um, a egomaniacal uh, man accused of fraud. And the other is Sam Bankman free. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, the former president and Sam Bankman Fried of FTX are undergoing trials in Lower Manhattan now, which is pretty wild. It's the FTX crime family on display. Totally, you've been fo- you've been following <laughs> reporters live tweeting. Yeah, from inside the yeah inside great the great room. account Intercity Press. Uh, yeah. he, he literally transcribes it for you. But I can't help but think every time I read it, like the music that Castle Island plays on their on the Brink podcast the, yes. for the FTX crime family. It's the like a uh, it's like the violin from the from the the uh, Godfather plays i love that pod by the way absolutely one of our favorite podcasts yeah i mean great guys very smart and Been doing um, it a long time did you know that they edited it themselves and i'm, I'm looking at the job that God, I don't know what I would do if I had to do it myself. They do two episodes a week, which is just impressive. It's, yeah, it's I've, just a lot of work and uh, hundreds. I fantastic think pod. Yeah, big fans of On the Brink. I think it's the only actual other pod I listen to on a regular basis, <laughs> other than our own. Um, like I said, we got a great show this week. Um, let's dive right into it. Let's go to our friend Bimnet Abibi from Galaxy Trading. As always, Bimnet, welcome to Galaxy Brains. Thanks for having me on. It's a really exciting time. Is it so far? Is this too far to go to say that there's like a run on U.S. government debt happening? I would say the moves that we've had over the past several weeks are indicative of a market that's not functioning properly. Right. It's indicative of a market that's woken up to the reality of fiscal policy, what it means currently and what it means going forward. And the magnitude of like that realization versus where we were before is pretty huge. And and that's why you're having this catch up. Um, The essence of it is there's more treasury supply coming and it's just not stopping. And so when there's just infinite supply, 
right? Prices go down. Yeah. And prices of bonds went down this week, particularly in the back end. I don't think they're done. Um, and the only likely solution is these prices cheapen to the point where the government starts feeling uncomfortable and the Fed starts feeling something really uncomfortable. Something breaks, basically. Something right? breaks yeah. uh, or you know, something becomes but untenable. This is just their – I mean the U.S. government issues this debt mm -hmm. in order to finance itself, right? To, to provide itself with money to spend. And theoretically, you could take in revenues that would be equal to the spending, and so that would be a nice – Oh, that's not happening in our current political climate. In decades. Absolutely not. But, so – but they're but so they're printing all of this debt, and people are becoming more and more concerned that we'll ever be able to pay it off, right? Or that we'll pay this off, but it'll get more and more expensive. Our credit is declining, basically, right? No, absolutely. So the the issue right now that we're having is, you know, it was okay to issue all that debt at two percent interest rates or at zero, right? Yeah. And the interest expense wouldn't like kill you as much. But now it's like the, the fiscal policy is such that it looks like you're going to be printing like 5% deficits at least going forward. And your interest expense is is constantly going up as a portion right. of, of your budget. And so the math becomes untenable. It spirals, but it, basically. It, it spirals. But then in the context of like all the unfunded liabilities that you have in the balance sheet, you can see that the debt's only going to continue to, continue to increase. And it's never an issue because there's always – it hasn't been an issue because there's always been buyers of this paper. Yeah. Right? Um, mainly the central banks. They own like a quarter of it. Yeah. Um, but foreign officials, you know, right. corporate pensions, yeah. insurance, et cetera. Uh, but at this point, with such huge mark-to-mark -mark losses, more supply coming, and there's no – the central banks can't really buy that, that back – or the U.S. central bank can't buy it because it would send the wrong signal because you're still, you know, 1.6% above your inflation target. And so they can't really start buying that paper. And if they signal that they're buying that paper, it basically means we're going to have money printing forever. Right. Which they're trying is to, the reality. We know we will, but right now they're gritting their teeth trying to like be as stern as possible to Correct. say it won't happen. Correct. But my issue is is that you know all of this stuff is really bad, right? If you were in an EM economy and you're like, holy shit, my country has to print debt forever, and the only way they can pay it is by inflating it right. and having the central bank buy it, you'd be like, I want to sell that currency like crazy, yeah, because it's worthless because they just keep printing money that right. they don't have out of thin air. Right. However, in this instance, you have a situation where the U.S. is winner by default. Everywhere else is way worse. Right. Japan's still stuck at negative rates. Their debt to GDP is, is way, way higher. Right. Europe can't really grow its way out of its issues. Um, they're having to slow down. They're getting very impacted by, by, by the Chinese slowdown as, as well. Um, and so you've got a situation where the U.S. Is, is the best house on a shitty block. Right. And it wins by default. I would like to think that the market is getting smarter on this, and eventually this will lead to folks thinking about Bitcoin more constructively. Right. And, you know, I'd, I'd like to take this moment to, to raise the bit signal <laughs> because it just feels like the right time. I think people are waking up to the reality of the, the future of, of this death path, this death path right? right? We have... Death two, spiral. De death, death, death spiral, yeah. correct. I mean, Ray Dalio w was on TV yesterday, you know, warning against a, a literal debt crisis right. in the U.S. Yeah. And so we're fundamentally at a situation where it looks like we're going to spend way more than we ever receive in income in perpetuity. Right. And so— that. That's that currency you'd want to sell. That's that currency. But, we're the, but, what, but it's what, the only one left. What do you sell versus it? <laughs> right. 
I, you know, well, there hasn't I, been I, an alternative. And I think that's where it is now. And like that's Bitcoin, right? Finite money, right? Define monetary policy. By the way, you can use it, right? You Gold would be great, it. but I mean, in this, no, you need to spend I, it. I mean, you can't yeah, spend exactly. it. It's impossible. Exactly. Right? And then you throw in the positive headwinds of an ETF potentially sure, sooner sure, rather sure, than sure. But besides that, like just from a philosophical perspective, the issue is it's not only just the debt construct, but it's a construct of, of like the U.S. financial plumbing. It is entirely uh, dependent upon the ability to print infinite amount of money. <laughs> Um, and to loan institutions money at ridiculous, uh, sorry, like contracts and specifications, right? The BTFP, yeah. where you can borrow money at par right. versus you know securities and loans, right? That's absurd. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, and the banking system like would have literally crumbled without these emergency facilities. The, the discount window, which had over a hundred billion in in usage, the BTFP another hundred billion plus, like without that. You know what would regional banking look like right now, yeah. right? W without the FX swap lines that the you know the government had you know during COVID and all the other random facilities where they just injected like free money at zero, you can borrow infinite money versus assets at zero. Like without that, you know the the financial plumbing really like doesn't work. <laughs> Right. And some people would, would argue that, well, it's no better anywhere else. That's how financial plumbing should work, et cetera. And like, things are fine because we have this infinite money printing. Uh, but in my head, it's like, guys, like, you, like, this can't last forever. Right. right. Just infinite balance sheet expansion will have consequences. We're seeing a little bit of it now with this inflation stuff. Yeah. But fundamentally like, and philosophically, I just have just such a huge, huge – like. I don't know, discontent. Well, and they comfort, say, you know, like, what's the uh, alternative, right? Yeah. As you've said, and right now, you know, you're, there's not really one. But the thing is, is whether or not it's Bitcoin or not, like every empire has thought it would last forever or tried yeah. to make it last forever, right? But yet every single empire in human history has collapsed, right? Like, and and so it's it's inevitable. I mean, it, it is inevitable. Now, whether we can hang on to this parlor game for 300 more years, who knows? But like, I mean, it but, will come to an end. And I... The, the fear that I'm seeing now in the markets in general is it does feel new, even though people have been talking about the debt problem for so long and the fiscal and the and the you know lack of a balanced budget, et cetera. Yeah. But now it, I think people are really starting to freak out, honestly, because the cost, like you said, the cost of merely servicing the debt is going to – it already is, what, like 10 percent of More. the – yeah. 15 percent. Um, it, it eventually, we're not going to, I mean, look at spending I was over this to a quarter Bim, of the budget. On right. Just I was saying this to Bim, expenses. And, right. And we need, so you have to keep raising taxes to cover it, but getting, it's like you're spending more and getting less for it each time. Um, I was saying this to Bimnet before we started recording, but like, look out at your infrastructure in America, like look at your roads, look at your public schools, look at your public hospitals. Like, does anyone think they're better now than they were 10 or 20 years ago? Because I, I'm wondering where this money is going. And increasingly, we know it's going to go just to servicing our out-of-control debt, which is Correct. just a disaster, I mean, basically. And and at least with Bitcoin, it's global. It doesn't have that type exactly. of liability. It's a liability to no one. It's, yeah. Um, and I think that people are starting to figure that out. So, I, I, I look, I mean, Bitcoiners have been preaching this preaching for years. For years. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, thank God. I think, uh, you know, Mike Novogratz, their CEO, put it best. But at the, it seems like the market – is having like a Mashinsky moment, yeah. right? Just all of a sudden, like everybody realizes this at, at once, yeah. and they're now trading on it. And 
it, it's interesting because you know that's just how markets work right all of, like the the factual the reality of stuff like you know is there but until something actually happens yeah or there's a catalyst you rarely see like you know value get to like where it should be right, right. um and so my the the, the thing I, I generally have an issue with as well is just you know folks are thinking a couple years out right now like you know two three four five years but if you start thinking you know a decade out and like two decades out right like what does the deficit or that national debt look yeah. like a decade out right now 50 trillion i don't right. know a well, lot more a lot more <laughs> right it's really i mean that it's, chart it's is like parabolic basically parabolic. yeah and and i'm just like what is it gonna look like in 30 years and the only solution right now like if you ask the fed like okay what, what do you think monetary policy is going to look like in 20 30 years they're not going to tell you like that their balance sheet's going to have come down or it's going to be at a manageable level, right? They're going to basically be their their ideal scenario, their best case scenario is that inflation isn't an issue and they are able to keep yields low and they have keep a huge the, keep balance the parlor sheet game going. But that's not going to work anymore. We've seen that when you do that that leads to hyperinflation. Right. Right. And so there's no real solution. And I think more and more people are waking up to the reality that it's Bitcoin, I yep. think. Uh, uh, but but it's slow. And, and you really do need like, you know, passage of time for, you know, wealth to move. From yeah, we need a to long term conviction in it, though. It is a long term bet. I yeah. Think. And I, so here's one of the things I've always wanted to do is write a piece called uh, Dear Bond Vigilantes. Have you heard of Bitcoin? Yeah. Basically, a, a piece that would, you know, I might actually write this, but calling out each one of the, the and major no one steal bond, that title. That's Bimnet's title. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but basically calling out every huge bond manager on the planet, like the guys you know at Vanguard, the Black Rocks of the world, etc., yeah. being like realistically, like, you, what are you actually betting on when you buy twenty-year bonds? They will. I think the answer is the central bank is going to continue to buy this paper. Yeah. Right. It's it's core thesis there, core core thesis yeah. there. But it's not I don't think it's it's really a function of, oh, I'm going to generate returns above inflation on this. Like, I, I, And it's also like when you think about it in the context of, OK, what are the government's actual obligations for the next 20 years? Right. You can predict that pretty easily. Right. Social Security, all the Medicare stuff, the aging population, how, how much you're going to have to spend on right. that. You, you make assumptions about, you know, whether the defense budget stays the same, et cetera. Yeah. But long story short, the picture just gets worse and worse and it's not even linear. And so, like, you're either the, you know, you're going to have to inflate your way out of all that debt. But the, the math just doesn't work well, without and, assuming the central bank's just going to like. And of course, if you try to inflate your way out at that level with the math, I mean, the math doesn't work. But I mean, you know what will happen, right? You'll you'll have coups. You'll have revolutions. Social unrest. Yeah. Massive social unrest, right? It's um, totally possible, so, which is what I'm worried about in EM sooner rather than later because right. they're getting pounded by a stronger dollar. Right. And, you know, they still have inflation. Yeah. Right. And so. Well, we I think Bitmet has raised the bit signal. Oh, um, he's raised it. We gotta get one. We, oh, you know, I would the, love oh, it. like the light with the, the light. Yeah, with we the Bitcoin logo, maybe. Phineas, get on that. Help us look into that. Uh, <laughs> Phineas, please. <laughs> um, we need it. Uh, um, this is great. Um, we've got another. We're having Kelly on. She's gonna talk to us a little more about Bitcoin markets as well. So, uh, Bimnet uh, BB from Galaxy Trading, my friend. Thank you for joining Galaxy Brains as always. Thank you so much. Let's go now to my friend Kelly Greer uh, from Galaxy Trading. Welcome to Galaxy Brains, Kelly. It is a pleasure to be here, Alex. So Kelly is a vice president uh, and 
in sales and trading, right? Mm -hmm. So just real quickly, like tell the audience who may not know what that is, just what that is. Like what, what do you do at Galaxy? Absolutely. Um, I'm on our U.S. sales team. So we have a global sales and trading team with teammates in Hong Kong and London. In the U.S., we work with our U.S.-based counterparties for the trading business, but also connecting them to all parts of Galaxy. So my team and I talk directly with our counterparties, help them get what they need out of the trading desk and the firm. That includes trading options, loans for their portfolio, lending their crypto, borrowing versus it, lending crypto directly for yield and trading spot, all on an OTC basis with our desk. Yep. So we're helping them solve problems, whether it's hedging a position that's unlocking, hedging their book, solving for yield generation, or maybe they have a portfolio company that wants advice from advisory and we can make the right connections. But generally talking to and working with the Galaxy counterparties all day, which is super fun. And what kind of counterparties, who are these counterparties, right? I mean, it's hedge funds, mm -hmm. what is it? Hedge funds, venture capital funds, corporates. We have strong relationships as well with pensions and endowments who allocate to the space in different ways, but I think over time we'll get comfortable with spot crypto too. Yep, okay. so. You had a really interesting tweet a couple of days ago um, talking about the positioning in the options market and how um, that there were a lot of dealers that are mm -hmm. basically short gamma. Mm -hmm. What and, did this and Bitcoin. mean? Bitcoin. In Bitcoin specifically. Yeah. yeah. What did this mean? It's particularly interesting. There's a strong difference in the market positioning and the options of Bitcoin and Ethereum. Yeah. And we can talk about the reasoning behind that. Yeah. But generally, what does it mean? So uh, when you think about options positioning of dealers, you're you're saying for everyone that's trading options in the market from a speculative position or from a hedging standpoint, there's a dealer on the other side of it. Right. When dealers are what we call short gamma, gamma is a Greek. So when you think about options, you think about them in terms of Greeks because that shows how your option price changes with respect to all of the Black-Scholes inputs that go into the option. Right. Things like delta, which is how the option price changes as spot prices change, things like time to maturity, things like volatility, interest rates, dividends for stock, et cetera. So what my tweet was focusing on was really delta and gamma. And so when you make when you analyze this data, you're making an implicit assumption that dealers who are managing a vol book are running their book delta neutral, i.e. they're they're taking positions in volatility and they're they're hedging out their risk to spot price direction. Okay, so what we can take from that is when you see flows in the market and you can back out as a result of that what dealers' positioning is, you can anticipate how they will have to be hedging their portfolio as spot prices change. Right. So when, when dealers are along gamma, gamma is a derivative of delta, that means they will be reinforcing markets in either direction. Sorry, when they're short gamma, they're going to be reinforcing the market direction in either way. And when they're long gamma, they're doing the opposite. Right. So in Bitcoin, we can go into why this is the case. Right. In Bitcoin, dealers are... Today. Yeah, today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. this isn't like a long-term thing. It's the current positioning. Current positioning. Yeah. And you can see this with data from places like Deribit and yes. Paradigm, right? This yeah. Is Paradigm, Paradigm blocks 95% of block trade sizes in the listed options market. So they have really good insight into data. Also a great podcast. And... A lot of the data that I look at is from Amber Data. Right. They have some really interesting charts that show that gamma positioning for dealers is very short in Bitcoin, and it's very long in ETH. And the ETH is especially interesting because there was a shift that happened at the Shanghai upgrade. 
And so that's a reflection in Ethereum of a lot of option selling activity that happened once ETH holders unlocked their ETH. It's right. available. They can sell calls on it. I see. Which yeah. is a outsized flow we're seeing in the market. There's heavily skewed activity to selling calls in Ethereum. Hence why dealers are on the other side of that and are long options and long gamma. Yep. Which will suppress ETH volatility. Right. Opposite the case in Bitcoin. Um, and so you can you can come up with reasons why anecdotally we see more demand for for Bitcoin upside from some of the traditional funds and crypto funds we work with, either on a stance around being long on the ETF narrative, or some funds are benchmarked to Bitcoin and Bitcoin's been outperforming. It's a great way to catch up to the market performance right. and their benchmark by being long in a levered manner. Right. Thus, when you look at the positioning, there's a lot of outstanding call interest around 30 and 35K. Right. So as we get near those levels in spot, those dealers will need to be buying Delta to hedge their books. Right. And we put some numbers out to our counterparties and we wrote about it on Twitter. It's hundreds of millions of spot notional or futures notional, whatever they want to use. Mm -hmm. And we do see the behavior of futures markets behave in such a way that reinforces this thesis. So on moves higher, ETH funding goes more negative and Bitcoin funding increases. I see. So it's, um, and you're saying when, so when you're long, when you're short gamma, mm -hmm. you're, you, and you basically have to buy Bitcoin as the price goes higher to, to cover exactly your position. Exactly. And so I think the, the thing we were saying and that you were saying was that um, as we approach those levels, it can spiral mm -hmm. higher, right? It's, it's not a, I think a lot of people in crypto are familiar with like long and short futures liquidations. It's mm -hmm. not the same thing, but mm -hmm. it's, it has a similar effect, right? Of of enforcing the move exactly like a virtuous cycle right so like and 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 what you think that level is like at the in, in the 30k range right yeah. so if we can round it for some reason mm -hmm. whichever the reason is whether it's an etf approval or any other positive catalyst in the market right mm -hmm. like then there could be some gap some gap up basically because of the positioning of the major dealers in the space yeah. really just anyone who's selling in options yeah that's our view and you can zoom out, and I, I got this feedback actually from some Twitter friends I met up with when I was tweeting about this, and they were like, but the options market is still pretty small, yeah. right? But zoom out, spot volumes are down, and listeners of the pod will know that spot volume data has its flaws, but volumes are down like 80% or something from the bull market, I mean, market, I think right? I, yeah, we had a, a, I had a tweet, um, I tweeted a chart of Bitcoin-denominated Bitcoin volumes on exchanges, right? So in BTC terms, so mm -hmm. controlling for the price of Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And um, again, yes, knowing that like, you know, it's very subject to which exchanges you look at, right? Some are like not reliable or whatever. Um, but it, this is the data from the block. And it was, the mm -hmm. I think September was the lowest volume since December 2016. Yeah, yeah. down bad in yeah. spot volume. So yes. But that leaves the dealers as among the only big traders currently like active, active. Exactly. An increasingly important force in the market. So spot volumes are down, call it 80%, but open interest while it's, you know, still a relatively small market, is a larger and larger share. So Bitcoin options open interest peaked at like $15 billion in the bull market and before the September expiry was around 10 So down much less than spot volumes. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So more and more so it's an increasingly important thing to pay attention to when you think about what's moving crypto markets. And right. it, it will be, I think, one day the same way it's viewed in traditional markets where I came from when I was on the derivatives desk at J.P. Morgan where – there are research analysts dedicated to analyzing options positioning to predict how 
futures yeah. and cash markets will behave. So you don't view in the longer term maturation of the space, you don't think that if we have a, a massive influx of spot volume, whether driven by market access vehicles or just another giant bull run that retail gets heavily involved in, it won't, wouldn't that reduce the magnitude of the options? Or you're saying that longer, as it matures, it should actually stay quite important? I think it will stay quite important. I think I think the retail users will also come back to crypto options and the participants of the derivatives market will continue to grow as we've seen it grow mm-hmm. dramatically through our counterparty base as well, right? And so like more mature um, market participants also use more sophisticated yeah. instruments exactly. to express themselves, right? Exactly. They give access to leverage. You can hedge. It's yeah. a lot of smarter solutions you can solve for versus trading just a spot product. Right. Um, and I do think crypto retail options traders are might be focusing their attention on things like one-day options that are now available in Robinhood. <laughs> and so that phenomenon has left crypto. And right now you have a core focus of institutional players in the options market. So when we see retail and a lot more interest come back to crypto, I also think options markets will benefit. Which weren't really like huge back in the day, right? And, yeah. and certainly not prior to 21. Yeah. It wasn't really an option. Mm-hmm. No pun intended. <laughs> Um, Kelly, I wanted to ask you about a couple other things. I know you're very sure. active in a DAO boys club. Uh, what is that? Yeah. Um, boys club is many things. It's a DAO, <laughs> the founding team, Dina, Natasha, Parker, others um, have built it over the past few years. It's it's really a community to bring sort of less heard voices on the internet and in crypto to light. So they host a podcast. They have a newsletter. All are very funny digestible, yeah. talking about some of the key topics in the, crypto, Web3, Internet. There's other. some real meme lords over there. I mean, this is real like a pretty lords. based uh, <laughs> meme lord culture. There was a tweet that they are responsible for keeping crypto fun in the bear market. And yeah. honestly, they, they do that. a very good job of it. They're hosting an in-person conference during oh. South by Southwest in Austin, which should be really cool, focusing on sort of consumer applications. So they're doing a lot. They're building a lot. And it's it's a great thing to be a part of. I want to say right here that I'm very, and even though I have pressed this to you and Boys Club, I'm very, <laughs> very upset that they have not adopted the song Boys Club by Ween as their main theme song. It's an absolutely incredible song. I don't know. Well, Alex, it's a DAO. I, you, I welcome you to write the proposal I'm gonna, to get that passed. I'm going to write We would one. love that. It's an incredible song, by the way. Everyone should go listen to that song. Great song. We should, um, we should play it. <laughs> I don't know if we can. I don't think we can. Can we get rights, Phineas? Are we able to get rights to random songs? I don't think we can. We don't want to get a season to sis, but it's a good song. Yeah, just you know, look it up on your preferred you know streaming platform that hopefully you you know pay for. Um, (laughs) Support the artist. Um, No no comment there. Yeah, thank you, Phineas. I uh, I love having you on the show. We'll have you back to talk about positioning and stuff. It's been an exciting time in the market. I mean, mm-hmm. what are you looking for? Are you looking for anything? We're obviously watching for the ETF news. I think is the biggest story in mm-hmm. crypto markets mm-hmm. right now. But like, how how are we feeling through the end of the year in your <sighs> mind? If you had to, you know, draw a line, put a marker down, plant a flag, etc. That's what I'm thinking about. I think I think that Mike and Galaxy have said that we're looking forward to an ETF approval. Hopefully before the end of think, the year. I think Mike says it's a matter of when, not if. At definitely, this point, right? definitely. Yeah. So very excited for that. I do think that brings in a lot of more participation in spot markets, and we could see that then fuel this sort of price activity that we've been anticipating off of the options positioning. Outside of that, um, you know, interesting developments in the DeFi space like DYDX before and things like that. 
but it's uh it's all about the ETF right now. Yep. Outside of, you know, unlocks and other things. The like other that. thing too is um we're in lower Manhattan here. Uh, yeah. that that he who shall not be named criminal trial has begun uh, a few, few minutes from our office. Um, and actually, I'm talking about Sam Bankman Fried, not the former president, who I believe is also having a trial in <laughs> lower Manhattan in the same court, in the same court building. Um, are people following that? Are, are counterparties like chit chatting about SBF? Like, because there's a lot of little news coming out. Michael Lewis's book. A lot of chatter on Twitter. Some of the some of the Twitter folk have summarized the book, and it's not good. It's not good. I think he's a, he's an apologist for Sam. Yeah. Primarily. Yeah. I haven't read it, but yeah. I have he... it. I have. I've only gotten like you know a few, a few pages <laughs> <laughs> because I started reading all the takes, and I, and then I saw his sixty minutes um, appearance on Sunday, where he he said among other things that if there hadn't been a run on FTX, the business would be doing great. And we're like, what business are you referring to? You mean the business where it's, they just took everyone's money? It's a painful subject for everyone involved. <sighs> it still I'm, makes me mad. I honestly am not really a fan of like the grave dancing and reading the book and watching the documentaries. We lived through it. It was. And I'm yeah. ready to move on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know what? I'm going to move on to if our yeah. audience wants to hear me be angry about FTX, go back to like what our November 9th episode or something like that. Episode. I just ranted for like 35 minutes <laughs> about it. Um, well, my friend Kelly Greer from Galaxy Trading, thank you so much for joining us on thank Galaxy Brands. Thank you for having me. Let's go now to our friend Tyler Williams, head of public policy at Galaxy Digital. Welcome back to Galaxy Brains, Tyler. Thank you, Alex. Good to see you again. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, I love having Tyler on, and especially when uh, there is dysfunction in Washington, which is, you know, very common. Um, but a huge shakeup happening in Washington this week with, um, of, of course, with Speaker Kevin McCarthy cutting a deal essentially with the Democrats to keep the government funded over the weekend and then being ousted as speaker earlier this week. Tell us what happened. I mean, if you hit the nail on the head last weekend, it was sort of right up against the time frame of keeping the government funded. Uh, McCarthy cut a deal to keep the government open and funded for a 45 day period of time, which gets us to, I think, November 17th. Mm -hmm. And then in the course of doing that, he uh, met the political fate that he probably knew he was going to encounter at some point in time when he went through the speakership election, which was um, giving the authority or the ability to one individual member to file a discharge petition to remove him from his job. Um, despite the fact that he enjoys or he enjoyed, excuse me, um, very close to like 95, 96 percent of the party's uh, support in Congress, uh, he was fired from his job the other day. So what one person could introduce the bill to remove him from the job or whatever the motion to remove him and the margins just so tight that like it, it we could only lose like four or five, five votes basically and he get and then he loses his job and that's what happened. That's right. Uh, there was a privilege resolution that was brought on the House floor yesterday um, to basically fire the uh, remove um, the person who was serving in the capacity of the office of the speaker. Yep. So, so that happened. And you're entirely right. Like there's such thin uh, majority in the House. You can't lose more than three or four people. Right. Unless you're. Uh, unless you're negotiating some compromise where there is like Democratic support for an issue. And that was something that, you know, if you watch um, former Speaker McCarthy's press conference yesterday, he alluded to the fact that his his predecessors, both Speaker Boehner and uh, Speaker Ryan, Ryan, had 
some type of implicit support that was embedded from um, then leader Pelosi. And I think that he, he hinted at the fact that like that wasn't there for him this time for whatever reasons. Yeah, it's it, it is such a sticky. Uh, it's such a tight Congress where it was they have like 222 votes uh, uh, Republicans or something. It's like in the what the thresholds 217 right, or 218 yeah, 218 to do anything. Yeah. So they, they have like but that means that any 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 defection in your party right now would mean that the Democrats end up electing the speaker basically right so you need it's like it's one thing if you have a you know of course you have the fringe wings of each party or whatever right they, they'll always exist but if you have a 30 or 40 vote majority like that's always fine like it doesn't give but that gives these you know these far right wingers I guess in this case or whatever we want to call them this outside control outsized control I mean, within the within the broader sort of modern day House Republican conference, if you remember back to the 2010 election cycle, um, when Boehner came in and became the speaker, uh, this was he, the Tea Party, had, right? 2010 was yeah, the Tea Party. Yeah. Yeah. There's Tea Party, but that the, the Tea Party is like sort of the predecessor party to the now Freedom Caucus, right. and the issue he had was uh, was still relevant to those those members, and it existed. But they had a they had such a healthy majority in the House, it wasn't as big as of a factor as it is now. Right, and that has dissipated over time. That margin, and thus that individual faction within the Republican Party, the Freedom Caucus, has definitely had an outsized impact. And some would say it's good, and some would say it's bad. I'm not taking like sure. a value position. No, it's just, just a, that it exists. It's the reality. Okay, so the big questions are then um, one: uh, who's going to be the next speaker? <laughs> Does anyone I have know? Zero idea. Um, and it's t- it's so tough to handicap. I think the people that are obviously out there is you have Leader Scalise and you have Whip Ember. Those are the two guys who are in the current sort of uh, upper echelon of leadership. And then right. you have Elise, Elise Stefanik, who is also in leadership as the conference committee chair. Um, and uh, those are sort of the three individuals who are in like the upper echelon. Then you have the Republican Study Committee, which represents sort of the conservative part of the House Republican Conference, and that's um, Kevin Hearn is the chair of them. And then you have these influential committee chairs that people are looking at and speculating, whether it's Jim Jordan, who has announced his uh, candidacy for speaker, or you have Patrick McHenry, who chairs the Financial Services Committee and is obviously super important to the, the crypto crowd. I'm a big fan of Rep McHenry. <laughs> and he's serving in the capacity as the speaker pro tem uh, because he was designated by former speaker um, McCarthy. Which is as, what? That's basically the backup speaker, like for the job of speaker, not for like like it's like the vice president of speakership. Like it's like the, if, if the guy yeah, that's sick, right, but I, I he'll think gavel it's, it in if the if, if right if, if the speaker's like well, I don't know. That's see, this is a good question. Has like never really we been haven't used? really encountered this um, this situation before, so it's unknown like wh- whether or not committees can even function. Whether or not committees have subpoena power if there isn't a speaker who's sitting in there. Oh, because and, is this the first time really a speaker's been ousted like mid-Congress? That's right. So we don't really have a past precedent to understand what exact authorities the House has. Can you just add this to the list of reasons why the rating agencies are downgrading the U.S., honestly? Like we're literally an unprecedented political disorganization in the right. House. Um, although I, I should say I, I had some uh, uh, some. Democrat friends who were dunking on the situation on the House Republicans dysfunction. I'm like, well, as dysfunctional as you think they are, you lost to them. So let's not like, you know, let's let's be real. you guys both have problems. OK, 
Um, so, okay, that's one question. I want, I want to ask you also, you know, what impact, if any, uh, this change or whom might become speaker might have on crypto policy? Because obviously the House has been foot forward on things like the FIT Act and the stablecoin hearings and all that. Does this impact that? It, it's tough to say right now. I think it depends entirely on who is the next speaker. And I, I think that, you know, in a, in a pie in the sky scenario, like say Speaker Pro Tem McHenry uh, becomes the actual speaker, then like for sure crypto policy is elevated because he cares a lot about it and has done a lot of work within the House Financial Services Committee and with the Ag Committee as well. And it's really important to him. Uh, on the other hand, we, we knew that... Um, Chairman McHenry was super important in terms of the broader political discourse and the negotiating authorities because he was a chief lieutenant of uh, former Speaker McCarthy. So it's it's a little bit dynamic of we could Monday morning quarterback a week project, but it, it really depends on like who the speaker is. Yeah, I do think that there is some there is some hope that in an optimistic world, if the House Republican Conference can unify behind an individual and empower that individual with um, with more authority to negotiate and try to build consensus, not only among Republicans, but with Democrats, that helps crypto. Yeah, because then it's truly a nonpartisan issue that can be voted on as a body and less a push as an individual policy priority for um, Republican members. In the other scenario in which we have a candidate or we have a speaker who uh, is sort of working under the same powers or authorities that uh, McCarthy was, which is a tough job. I don't think anyone would take a normal job that like they were instantly able to be able to be fired <laughs> on, on the spot, despite like doing what everyone wants them to do. Um, if, if that is the path, then I think it's really hard for anything policy wise to happen, let alone funding the government. So I, I think that's like the world that we're that's the strongest reality, unfortunately, mm-hmm. where we're living in this base case where there's a high probability that we have a shutdown in Q4 um, and policy priorities, whether or not it's uh, tax extenders or some type of tax reform or if it's crypto policy or even if it's something like uh, people have talked a lot about the uh, cannabis banking bill that was passed out of the uh, mm-hmm. Senate Banking Committee the other day as sort of a a policy signal that could be included because it looks like Democratic leadership in the Senate wants it and there may be some deal to be had there. Even things like that that seem bipartisan in the Senate could easily fall off because um, there there is no sort of white space for legislating. It literally can't even have it. There's dysfunction in the in the process. Um, yeah, at some at some level, like everything in Congress is about like fourth grade math. So you yeah. have to get to sixty in the Senate, and you have to get to two eighteen in in the House. And like, unless you can do that, it's really hard to get anything done. Now, can can I ask you, is the House able to hire a non member to be Speaker? Yeah, yeah, of course. There's nothing in the Constitution. Has there ever hire. been one? Do we do we know? Like, I, um, I, I've never. I I'm not aware I don't, of one, but. I, I think there has, but my my. Well, there's been is... some talk, as you know, of a certain uh, Republican uh, who's not a member of Congress that maybe asked uh, if he would take that job. That man, uh, he gave a comment on it outside of his criminal trial <laughs> in in New York. Uh, that's former President Donald Trump. People have joked or flirted with the idea that he might be asked, and he commented something like, "Well, you know, like we'll do whatever, you know, we'll see how we can help or whatever." 
Well, I think like Washington would literally like implode upon itself. <laughs> I mean, this is like where what does Elon Musk say? Like the funniest outcome is the most likely. I mean, that's we're starting to. I mean, you almost didn't think it could get funnier, but I mean, I I can't really imagine anything funnier than Donald Trump wielding the gavel in the U.S. House while running for president while under indictment. <laughs> well, you remember early in January when uh, former Speaker McCarthy was going through his sort of. Um, long protracted process to becoming the speaker and how yeah. many rounds was it like 17 or 12 rounds yeah like the, that. the president trump was calling like marjorie taylor green and people on the floor right but you'll remember that president trump was also a nominee from certain members who were sitting at the time to become i thought speaker. i didn't realize that was an actual thing that if he had won could happen though i thought it was more like you know you like vote for santa claus you write him in as a candidate no no it's like it's very real wow. and you, you can uh, any individual member can nominate anyone that they want to become the speaker. And hypothetically, if that person gets 218 votes, they would become the speaker of the house. I, I, so that, that would be a, a strange world in which second in line to the president was the former president. <laughs> There's a lot that's strange about it. Um, Tyler, just before we wrap, um, in general, like, you know, you talked about the shutdown. Do you think the odds have improved, uh, have increased or declined of that November 17th shutdown? Now, it seems like increased now, given the... It's somewhere at the same threshold that we were last weekend. And I think it was it was really high up until the point where, like, there was a negotiated deal that came to fruition that narrowly averted a government shutdown. Like, it has to be at least in that quartile of, like, risk in the same way it is was then. Right. I don't think anything has materially changed from last week to this week. The only thing that we have is we don't have a leader in the House. (laughs) <laughs> it's just uh there's a lot happening i, I always uh, appreciate uh tyler our man in washington t bill tyler williams t will uh tyler thank you so much uh, as always thanks for having me alex that's it for this week's episode of galaxy brains thanks to our guests bimnet abibi and kelly greer from galaxy trading and tyler williams galaxy's head of regulatory affairs everyone have a great weekend and we'll catch you next week Thanks for listening to Galaxy Brains, the weekly podcast from Galaxy Research. If you enjoy the show, please like, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. To follow Galaxy Research, sign up for our weekly newsletter at gdr.email, read our content at galaxy.com research, and follow us on Twitter at glxyresearch. See you next week.